Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here today with Bruce McCurdy. Hey, Bruce. Hey, David. Welcome back from your your big overseas junket. Yes. Went to Paris and tour of the Baltic, St. Petersburg. Oh, wow. And um, St. Petersburg, I was astonished, Bruce. Because I had been to Moscow in 1994, and it was a, as Donald Trump might put it, a crap hole kind Uh of city. Um, But St. Petersburg was absolutely gorgeous. And um, you should see their new hockey arena. Amazing. So when I hear a player is going to play in St. Petersburg, I'm not going to be thinking, oh, they're going to this crap hole. I mean, it's not as gorgeous as Paris. But it is an astonishingly beautiful city with canals and all kinds of buildings from the pre-communist era that um, survived the Second World War. And uh, and then the the palaces of the czars are just unbelievably lavish, like 150 statues and one, one of them covered in fountains, covered in gold, most of them. So, so Bruce, we are going to be uh, digging into, I think we can finally safely judge ken holland summer and how he did this summer i think it's think pretty he's done well there might be a pto or that we're going to miss here but he's done i think he's done with pulley rv so i think i think that's run its course yeah. with pulley rv signing so i think we're i think we can give him a great safely give him a great what do you think well we can certainly give him an interim grade and uh we'll certainly i'm sure be in position to talk about anything he does between now and the end of September, as it happens, but I mean, it's we're entering rookie camp starts tomorrow, so I think we can say summer is technically over, and anything else he does will be part of his fall. Yeah, fortunately, doesn't have any RFAs to sign like uh, so many teams do. There's a oh. there's probably what 15, 20 total. Uh, there's at least 10 sort of star level, yeah, uh, UFAs or RFAs, pardon me, and uh. Other than Sebastian Ajo signing a, a, a offer sheet on July 1st, no less, and quickly getting matched by his parent team, the Carolina Hurricanes, there's been zero budging of any of the other guys. Like Everybody's waiting for someone else to set the bar. What are they waiting for? I don't get it. Like, honestly, you'd think someone would have settled by now. They would. But um, it seems like it's a game of either... It's a game of chicken or chicken, chicken shit. Uh-huh. Because no, no one's signing. Someone should sign. Like, what's yeah, going well, on? Like, Marner, Marner, Point, Kachuk, Line, uh, Rantanen, uh, McAvoy, uh, Rensky. Like, there's a lot of star level young players that are out there in the mix that are uh, still. Uh, still unresolved and i mean training training camp proper starts in basically a week there's a lot riding on it for the players but also for the agents you, you mm-hmm. can't be the agent who, who gives the worst contract right because because then that's held over your head by the other agents probably forever like oh, look at look at that agent for so and so he only got eight million per instead of 10 million per right, right. and uh, that would be bad advertising so i think that's driving a lot of it like on if that's if i was guessing what the big holdup is, it's, it's um, there's some competitive pressure on the agents to maximize for their clients, uh, unrelated to just their own 
fiduciary interest to their client right um somewhat related to their their is that is that too harsh a comment well it's a reputation thing and i mean everybody wants to win right the player wants to win and the agent wants to win they want to they want to have the the biggest and the best and the shiniest and i think that's just human nature all right so we're going to grade ken holland and do, do you want to like give the grade off the top or hold it to the end well i i guess if we give it up off the top then we spend the rest of the podcast justifying it and the other way to do it is to uh, lay out the, the good and the bad things and then and summarize it in the grade so i kind of prefer the second frankly Okay, we'll end off with the grades. We'll keep people in suspense. All right. What we'll do, Bruce, is we'll kind of go through the major moves mm -hmm. and discuss how you think he did on them and how I think he did on them. Okay. So let's start in net. How do you think he did in with the goal, Oilers' goaltending situation? Essentially, bringing in he made one move. He drafted right. in front of Olive, but we're not gonna let's not talk about the drafting because we don't right. know. It's too early to tell. But he brought in Mike Smith. What is he? Thirty-seven. He's mm -hmm. had some good years in the past, getting long in the tooth, had a up and down year last year. What do you think of that move? <sighs> well, I I'm I don't hate it as much as many people seem to. <laughs> I, I think the key there was he absolutely had to get a goalie who was NHL experienced mm -hmm. because Koskinen really is not. He had yeah. to get a guy who was a, a 1A or if you want a 2B, depending on how you want to uh, um set the goalies to me there we have like a 2a and a 2b uh but the free agent goalies were either ridiculously expensive and huge long-term commitments which the others just there was no way they could get in, into the into the market for bobrovsky right i mean they just you can't even look at that so i like that he signed a guy to a one-year contract yeah uh, i like that he signed a guy uh um. That he kept the cap hit a little bit down and, and uh, uh, put in some incentive bonuses that are pretty reasonable. You know, like he's going to make a couple of those bonuses, but if he makes a lot of those bonuses, that's good news for the team probably. Uh, especially the playoff bonuses, which is like seven hundred fifty thousand of the of the bonus pack. Uh, Smith last year he had a terrible, 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 brutal first half of the season, and. Uh, in the second half, he bounced back pretty good. In the playoffs, he was he was pretty good. He, he faced an awful lot of rubber against Colorado in that one series. Uh, he, he's known to be a competitive son of a gun. Uh, he's, um, I think, what's the long game for Holland here, I guess is the question. Is he trying to get the team to where they're competing for the Stanley Cup this year, or is he trying to build and, and put placeholders in place? And I'm seeing more in number two, that he's putting in, uh, he's putting guys in who can hold a position and compete in that position while his his cast of prospects, now impressive looking prospects, uh, starts to build towards being uh, NHL players. Well, number two is one way to put it, Bruce. Might be a little bit harsh. Well, okay, I hear you, I hear you. <laughs> Hey Bruce, here's what I think. Um, when, so there was a number of goalies we were all talking about um, mm -hmm. as possibilities. And when you look at the ones, what they signed. So Semyon Varlamov, who, who was mentioned at, a, you know, he, he, four years at 5 million. That's an overpay. Come on. Yeah. 
the number one thing you don't, what we've learned, I think the painful lesson of that all your fans have learned over the years is the, to get a passing grade in the summer, a GM must not hand out a big money long-term contract unless it's to a younger player. And um, we've just seen being beaten over the head with repeated yeah. failures of UFA signings. So he avoided that here, right? The yep, one year thing is, 100%. And that's, so right there, it's like you passed, he passed. Every UFA, I mean, the only two-year deals that he gave out were to his own guys, uh, Chase on and Kara, and everything else was a one-year deal. Yeah, those were just two-year deals. Right. So so Varlamov got $5 million a year for four years. Robin Leonard got the one year at $5 million. So if he had found a way to do that, yeah. I think then we Leonard. might be saying that's, that might have been the home run deal. Like there was. And so Mrazek got two years at 3.1. Now it depends what you think of Mrazek. Is he a better bet than Smith? He's certainly younger. I think we would have been happy with that deal, the Mrazek deal. Maybe a little bit more than we are. Um, but he, he needed someone of that caliber. So Smith's kind of in that range. And so maybe he would have, if he could have persuaded Robin Leonard or if he could have persuaded Mrazek. I don't know if they wanted Mrazek or not. There's the McElhaney deal. Um some people like him. He's a mm-hmm. he's he's getting up there. He's thirty six as well. Yeah. So I, I'm you know obviously we should be leery of a thirty seven year old goaltender who's had a up and down year, and that's not exactly hopeful. And I think it's the biggest in terms of things that didn't really work out well for Ken Holland. That's the biggest question mark I have, and it's the biggest worry I have heading into the season is the goaltending, and it, it could be the thing that that sinks the team this year more than anything else because. Koskinen's a huge question mark, and and no, well, he inherited so frank, he inherited yeah. that question mark, yeah. and if he'd have gone out and, and signed a, a true number one, and and basically doomed Koskinen to be number two for three years at four point five million, oh, that's God. going that's that's going to impact the payroll going forward. So he kind of had to work with the hand he was dealt, and I mean Leonard. Uh, one year at five million is great, but they didn't really have five million. Well, they right? might have if they had really. If they spent it, all, if they spent it all on goaltending, then maybe. Yeah, I mean, I think they might have been able to afford that, but that means no chase on, right? Probably, and. Well, there's no. Okay, let's move on to the defense. What they did with the defense, so they drafted Broberg, and we'll find out how that turns out down the road. They bought out Andre Sekera, and and I was initially. Uh, really against that because um, I, I thought Sekera. It'd be hard to get a better player mm-hmm. at for the same amount of money. Mm-hmm. Um, when we see how things played out in terms of cap room and just how tough it's been for the Oilers, I think, to maneuver this summer, I think they did need that cap space in the end. And, and I think that my initial assessment might have been uh, incorrect in that Caleb Jones, I think, is as good a player right now as Andre Sakura, probably better. They needed to find a, a a place for Caleb Jones or someone like him. One of these, you know, the four young guys chomping at the bit: Jones, Pearson, yes. Logson, and Bear. And so they needed to move someone. And so I was hopeful that maybe they could move Russell or Benning. That might have been really hard to do, especially with Russell with the the no movement clause. So in the end, uh, I'm, you know, if I'm going to give like a C to the Mike Smith move maybe a C plus, probably a C. Uh, I'll give like for what he did on defense, um, considering he he absolutely had to make room because he has Bouchard and Sam Rukov coming to the farm team. I'm going to give him a, a, a B for uh, what he did with the defense. 
I am. Um, what do you think? Yeah, yeah, it's a painful one. I mean, paying paying a guy uh, like they're going to be paying Andre Sekra now for the next four years to not play for them uh, is is a is a painful <laughs> move. And as a fan, of Andre Sekra, I hate to see the guy go. I mean, he yeah. uh, he he had two good years here, and then the fates conspired to basically ruin his middle two years, and now his last two years are are bought out. Uh, but the cap space is significant. I mean, they they basically bought three million in cap room uh, for each of the next two years. Uh, but I agree more even with your other point. It's all about roster space. They had uh, last year when Secker came back the last 24 games, they had the same six pack of defensemen with Clefbaum, Larson, Nurse, Russell, Secker, Benning. Exact same six guys that had played the the lion's share of the 2016-17 season, and then played again. So three years straight, and the last two years they hadn't been successful as a group. And in the meantime, you got all these guys bubbling under the guys you named: Bear, Laguson, Jones, uh, Pearson that's coming over, and even I'd say Evan Bouchard that has an outside chance at camp. And for those guys, I mean, looking up at the same six players again and saying, well, where the hell are we ever going to fit if this organization just keeps sticking with the same group that had brought them success a few years ago now? Uh, you got to break the logjam somehow. And maybe it's not the most creative way to do it, but maybe there was no there was no trade there. I mean, Sekra's value was quickly established on July 1st when he signed for a, basically a quarter of his old pay and uh, for one year and uh, there apparently was no trade for Chris Russell and if they'd have bought Russell out instead of Sekera they would have saved three million this year but not next year and, and I think Russell's a better bet as a player because if he's more durable he has been than, than Sekera although I like Sekera better or slightly better as a player maybe mm-hmm. but Russell's been extremely durable and that that's really important so um Something yeah. to be said for that, and you know, I would have preferred honestly that they moved Matt Benning. I think, well, but um, that would but, only be two million. But the way the way it's going to work out now is they're going to have moved Sekra and open three million cap space, and they're going to almost certainly replace him with someone making under or exactly one million. That's so right. they're going to save two million, which they then were able to use to to uh, address. Uh, other spots on the roster, primarily forward, which I'm sure we're going to talk about next because that's where the majority of the moves. Yeah, so, so you can look at it. They they get rid of Sekera, but in 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 place they get probably Caleb Jones and, right. or and or Joel Joel Pearson and mm-hmm. Alex Chason. So that's the deal. All right. All right, let's go to forward. Oh, did you give a mark on defense? Do you want to give a mark on that? Uh, I was just going to give an overall mark, but uh, um, I mean it's. I hate to call it addition by subtraction, but really that's all he did because all the other guys, other than the draft of Philip Roberg, which uh, <clears throat> is way off in the future, all those other guys are already here. But he's, he has, I think, the act of creating space for them and creating a bit of cap space in the process is a net positive. You know, we have all these young veterans in Larson, Clefbaum, and Nurse. It's really time these guys just play their yeah. best hockey consistently. And, yep. and it's been really frustrating the last two years yep. um, since their strong play in the playoffs it's i'm not particularly at this point particularly bullish on any of those three players and they have all got to show that they're top four pairing demon in the nhl like i i think all three of them 
have a lot yeah. to prove is what I would say. All right, forward. Um, Optimus. So, Bruce, before the Lucic trade, I probably would have, I was pretty down, I think, overall mm. in the summer. And then I became extremely buoyant. So I, I just think that was an, you know, I don't know, an A-plus move might be a little high uh, because he, they did have to eat some salary with James Neal. But, mm. man, they really needed to move out Lucic. He, he was just not the right fit at all for the Oilers. It was just so apparent. He was sinking whatever line he was playing with. I, I, I personally believe that a big part of Jesse Pulley-Yarvey's problem in Edmonton came from having to play so much with Lucic. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just it was so difficult to get any off sustained offensive zone pressure with him because he was either giving away the puck or too slow to to get in quickly enough on the forecheck to win it. Lucic was so, you know that's an A move. Um, it's a it's a move a lot of people didn't think was going to happen, but I had been uh, I had predicted it was going to happen just because you I did. thought someone was going to see more value in Lucic than the Oilers did and that the the Oilers would have to take a bad contract in return but they would be able to move Lucic without having to swallow the worst poison pill and that's what happened Bruce it was I just think a real feather in Ken Holland's cap and a huge relief to Oilers fans yeah well they needed to change up the mix here for sure and the, and, the, and the Lucic situation had uh you know, he had one the one bad year in 17-18 where halfway through the year his game fell apart and never came back. And A lot of people, myself included, thought he would bounce back in 18-19 with a much better season. And in fact, the opposite occurred. If anything, he was a worse player last year than he had been uh, in 17. He had one little burst where he scored four goals in six or seven games mm-hmm. in January. And that was it. I mean, he had six goals the whole damn year. Uh, and... Uh, in the calendar year 2018, he scored two goals, which was the least amount of any NHL forward who played 60 games in, in calendar 2018. The $6 million man had fewer goals than all of the plugs and grinders and fourth-line scrubs in the NHL for for an entire year. And there was something, something in the chemistry that wasn't really there and I don't don't want to talk much about chemistry but I do, I do believe it exists and there, there was they weren't didn't seem to be on the same page and we've been through this movie before you know we brought in other guys for their leadership their veteran leadership to support our young guns who are on the way up and it never seems to work out all that well too so, old and too slow Bruce I mean yeah they wow. tried the identity line and, and Brodziak oh. and Lucic were just too damn yeah. slow to keep up in the modern was, NHL. That was the Oilers' identity last year. Yeah. Too slow. Too slow. And the, the, as a group among the forwards, as we'll get into, they really have addressed the speed issue. I don't think James Neal is any burner, but I don't think he's slower than Milan Lucic either. So I think I've told you this before. I don't know if I said it on the podcast, but when I read through the stories on James Neal from the Calgary media, oh. I got the distinct feeling that he played about as well last year as Patrick O'Sullivan had played in his final oh. year. Oilers. It was kind of a sinking oh. Oh. feeling. Like they really Stare hated his game. So Stare. he's got a lot to do if he's going to regain things. Of course, Neal isn't Patrick O'Sullivan. He's had a much better career. and mm-hmm. um, But he's 32, so we'll see. You know, again, though, I think that was an A move by a grade A trade. And uh, so the other moves, Bruce, I just love some of the moves. that I like mm-hmm. the Josh Archibald signing. That's the, an excellent move, the, yeah. The Joachim Nygaard signing. Mm-hmm. Um, 
the I don't know as much about you know there's we're a little less excited about Haas, but we'll see how he turns out. And then the handling of Jesse Puliarvi, I think, has also in my mind been an A move. He, it's clear that um, things weren't working out with Puliarvi and the owners, and we're unlikely to this year. It's clear that Puliarvi needs a bit more seasoning and maturity. Yeah, and he run out of time in the AHL. You couldn't send it. So what a perfect thing! It's almost like they they handed the Oilers like this huge gift. Like, if you don't trade us, we'll go to the uh, we'll go play in Finland. It's like really, <laughs> right on, go and stay there, play there a year or two or three, until <laughs> you're ready for the NHL. Until you show you know absolute dominance. And and I know there's a lot of talk that he'll never be back with the Oilers, but um, you never know. And things change in a year or two he, he, he can oh. be a different person by the end the situation on the orders is will, is already different with different coach different jam there'll be a lot more different players at that point so we'll see how this all turns out but i thought in the end if he i don't I, if he doesn't i i don't that depends on who he gets obviously but not trading him i think was the absolute right move and uh signing of nygaard and um Archibald I'm I'm a little less excited about the chase on signing honestly if there was even like a hint of overpay it might have been that although I don't hate it either he was he is he is a useful player it's only a two-year contract uh, he's a hard-working player but if we're completely honest he was just a marginal uh, two-way hockey player at even strength last year that, at least that's my opinion so well 2.15 million was it yeah uh, that he got I mean that's that's in some ways a marginal contract for a proven NHL. Or I mean, for 22 goal scorer that he was last year, uh, that's actually a low ball contract. Most of the guys that were in that neighborhood now, the argument can be made, and I think probably successfully, that it was a kind of a career year, one off season for uh, for Chase on, and he'll come back to his true level. But I, I think his true level is probably somewhere around 15 goals. Well, that and, would be good. And you know he he's uh, uh, there are ways that he that he can help the team. Uh, he was uh, I mean it's not like the Oilers had so many goal scorers last year that they could afford to let let them walk because I mean they had four guys that could put the puck in the net or five if you include Cassian and that was it. Uh, and, he, so, and he was damn good on the power play I'll give yeah, him credit he, for that. He, like, he was good in front of the net and he, and he sniped a few from there and he and he screened a few from there and and he was way better in front of the net than Lucic was that was one area where I was really disappointed in Lucic I thought he'd be way better at that than he turned out to be uh anyway uh uh the other guy of course Marcus Granlund uh yes. that they signed on July 1st uh Collectively, what what I like about the the group of guys that they sign, and especially the outsiders uh, of uh, Negard, Haas, Granlund, Archibald, is collectively uh, certainly the reputation is that they're all pretty fast skaters, and that is an area where the Oilers seriously lacked uh, last couple of seasons. Uh, it was just speed. I mean, they got McDavid, so that makes them a fast team, right? Well, it doesn't make them a fast team. It makes them a team with one fast player, or, you know, a couple of fast players. But the overall team speed was pretty lacking. And I think that's been largely addressed. And when you include the potential of, you know, Caleb Jones on the back end, uh, adding a little speed back there, 
the team should be a lot faster. Uh, what I also liked about what um, Colin did was uh, the layers of competition that he's brought in. Mm-hmm. And by that, I mean, he's got guys that are ready to, are uh, close to ready to graduate from the AHL. You've got Tyler Benson, Cooper Marodi, Kyler Yamamoto, you know, one guy at each forward position that's 20 to 22 years old uh, that that has a, a, a fighting chance, but they're going to have to fight to get the chance. They're going to have to work their way through layers of competition. And by layers, I'm talking about the fourth liners within the Oilers that were already there, the jobs that they're trying to win. But the other guys brought in to, to fight for those fourth rounders, the guys from Europe, Haas and Nygaard, uh, the the depth players from other NHL teams in Grandland and Archibald, and also the Oilers' own depth players in the AHL who are have a fighting chance at fourth line and extra forward duties, and, and players like uh, Joe Gambardella and uh, 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 Patrick Russell, that they've added... You know, all of these guys are sort of legitimately in the mix for bottom of the roster jobs. And you can point at the body of work and say, well, he only addressed the bottom of the roster and not enough at the top. And that's a fair point. But what he did do at the bottom of the roster, I think, is that the Edmonton's bottom six will be uh, uh, will be faster. Uh, there's almost no way they won't score more goals. Uh, and you know, because they scored as a group. That group last year scored so few goals. And uh, there will be competition and hard competition uh, for the jobs on on the uh, on the bottom end of the roster. So for that, I give uh, I give Ken Holland uh, a fair amount of credit. It's a good thing that the players he he signed all have the reputation, at least, of being fast skaters. Negard especially. Yeah. Uh, because the guys coming up from Bakersfield aren't particularly fast skaters. Benson, Marodi, Russell, and Gambardella. Uh, not one of them, I think, is... is Yamamoto, Yamamoto's got some wheels. Yamamoto is, is okay. Like, he's he's above average. But um, Benson and Marodi certainly are highly skilled hockey players. And right. Agile, but they're not fast. So they really did need to get faster. Mm-hmm. And um, looks like he did that. So... Uh, you know, I'm, I, it's exciting. Like we, what's exciting to me is we're going to see players like Nygaard and Parson and, and hopefully um, be surprised by one of those two or maybe both of those two. Um, they're both going to get a real shot at making this roster and Haas as well. So, yeah, it's uh, I, I think he might have hit more of a home run at the, with the forwards if he had brought if he had been able to bring in a third line center. Yeah, the three C hole is just who is fast young you know between like 27 28 fast and young and aggressive now that's haas is maybe in the end who he's brought in and he'll be competing with cave and we'll see about brodziak i think brodziak's going to be going on long-term injury possibly so but um you know third and fourth line center right now at least on my depth chart i have haas and jujar kyra and so that's a little bit scary yeah, well, I wrote a, a couple of posts called The Realist Guide to the Oilers roster, and I, and I said Gaetan Haas is a 3C type, but I'm not comfortable to project him as a 3C outright. I mean, maybe he'll surprise us and be able to do that job, in which case, great, that's fantastic. But to be counting on it is a bit of a dangerous game at this point. 
to say the least. Yeah, it's a, it could be a huge hole. So we'll see how wow. that goes. Ever right, since that Ryan Strom trade, David. Yes. Ever since that Ryan Strom trade, that three C hole has reemerged. The Belanger Triangle. I've taken to calling the Oilers' constant perennial hole at three C the Belanger Triangle in honor of, you know who. <laughs> So like Bob Stoffer was talking about maybe Grandland playing center. I don't know. Well, he used to play some center, but he used to play some center and 3C in the NHL is uh, is a bit of a stretch. And the interesting thing and a little bit worrisome thing about both Grandland and Archibald is that in both cases, the old team, their old team had RFA rights just to issue a qualifying offer. In both cases, they declined to do so. And you wonder why that might be. Uh, and the Oilers got him for a little cheaper uh, in the case of uh, Granlund and Archibald at a very modest, uh, affordable uh, raise. But you wonder why, what was missing in their games that the other teams didn't just sort of automatically extend them. So and the good news is that unsigned RFAs are cheaper free agents and younger free agents than the full old UFA market. And yeah, one, year, a- one year each. Yeah, so so Grandlin, Archibald, uh, and Neil, uh, three guys who I have penciled in in the top nine are all cast-offs by their old teams. Mm-hmm. And so the only people that the other teams wanted to keep were Haas and Nygaard, right, who came over right. from Europe. Right. Uh, but they're coming over from Europe, so they're coming from inferior leagues. So fair enough. So I, do, Bruce, I do think they uh, did uh, improve on the penalty kill. With yeah. uh, the guys that they added, and that that was that's an area that desperately needs work. And the the other thing to grade, I guess, Holland on this summer is his choice of coach, uh, Dave Tippett. What do you think of that? Well, Tippett has a reputation of getting the most out of weak players, weaker players, mediocre players. So <laughs> he's he's the right guy for the Edmonton job. <laughs> <laughs> well, the top guys, he's pretty confident the top guys are going to produce. And Edmonton's bottom six has been letting them down so constantly for years that if Tippett is able to uh, uh, find the right <clears throat> collection of Band-Aids and duct tape and and bailing wire to put together a bottom six that can hold its own, that would be a huge step forward. So yeah. let's, let's hope he lives up to that reputation. Uh, some would say they should have gone for a younger, cutting-edge, uh, you know, 21st century coach. And I guess time will tell. But uh, they certainly wind out and got an NHL-proven uh, guy with, uh, you know, a lot of uh, uh, a lot of track record, uh, much of it successful. I'm, I'm cool with the signing. That's, uh, Tippett seems, uh, he, he's been off two years. He seems good to go. Super keen. He's an experienced coach, successful, so. I, I think they made a good choice, good choice in him. All right, Bruce, what's your overall grade? What are you going to give Ken Holland? Um, I think overall a B. I like the I like the the shakeup. Uh, it can't be described any other way. The the Lucic for Neil, and I'm a little antsy about what we're actually getting in James Neil. Are we getting the guy with the wicked wrist shot, uh, who? wound up on the outside of the top six in Calgary and couldn't fit in and is just chomping at the bit uh, to get back into a scoring role, which is what exactly where Edmonton does need top six wingers. Calgary really didn't. And so it's a better situation for him. And he's got plenty to prove. And 
after two years of going to the Stanley Cup Finals, having long, long seasons and short, short summers, uh, well, Calgary didn't go very far in the playoffs last year, now did they? And so he wound up getting a nice long summer and then a change of scenery. And I expect to have a very motivated player uh, for at least the first year of the remaining four on his contract. So that's that's the big win. And like I say, I do like some of the layering and so on. I do see this as at least a two-year build. And he just didn't have the calf space to do a lot. So he got a lot of what I call placeholders. You know, one year, one million, uh, 26, 27, 28-year-old guys that aren't going to be overwhelmed but will provide a layer of protection that they're not saying, well, Tyler Benson has just got to make it in the top six or we're toast. You know, I mean, they, they do have options. And only, you know, some of the options are promoting young guys. Uh, and I think the young guys, when they're good enough, are going to be able to beat out the level of guys that got brought in. But not Yeah, before. that's a huge thing. He's left some holes open so Benson can make this team if he's good mm-hmm. enough. And Caleb Jones can make this team if he's good mm-hmm. enough, and Bill Parison can. So I'm going to give him a B plus. He didn't okay. give any killer stinker contracts. Mm-hmm. He uh, greatly improved uh, the forwards by getting rid of Lucic and bringing in extra speed. And mm-hmm. um, I'm good with what's happened on defense. I think that the defense is largely on Larson, Clefbaum, and Nurse finally reaching their potential as NHLers this year and, and playing solid all year. And, and again, I think a real frustration of last years has been those, those three, not one of those three players truly stepping up and being the player that I think they can be and have shown at times uh, being that player consistently. So that's, that's yeah, Nurse, a real, real key Nurse, to this season. Nurse had some moments last year and of course he put up some points. He was the first order D man in 10 years to get to 40 points. Uh, but uh, Oscar, or, sorry, Adam Larson's season was particularly disappointing, and unless he has some kind of chronic injury, and of course there was rumors about his back last year. I mean, if that does prove to be chronic, then that's trouble. But you and I, and I think everybody else knows that Adam Larson is a way better player than he played for the majority of last season, and uh, he, he's one guy the Oilers need to bounce back, and I'm reasonably confident he will. All right, let's leave it there, Bruce. All right. Yeah, thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks for your patience over the summer. I mean, there wasn't a lot going on, but uh, we did get lots of feedback of people that like our podcasts, and and, uh, we sure appreciate your listening and watching. We do that, and we had to figure out a technical solution, so hopefully this is it. We've happened that we're using Skype now to do this, so let's hope this works, Bruce. Let's hope. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast.